Chris Stevenson, welcome to the podcast. Tim Burroughs, very happy to be here. Happy to be on the Unmade podcast, my inaugural Unmade appearance. Great to be here. Yes, we've we've chatted in some other audio formats over the years. Um, since then, you you've become quite important. You're, uh, <laughs> you're, you're now the um, PhD Worldwide's Chief Marketing Officer globally, which is a kind of interesting place to start for me because. Uh, by my calculations, you're recently celebrated your 19 years with the PhD organisation. So yeah, 19 years since I began. Joined in 2003. There, there was a, a couple of years in, in the middle of all that elsewhere. Um, but yeah, pr pretty much 19 years with the organisation and um, all of that time planning strategy and now jumping into a marketing and role. that is my question, mm. really, because yeah, you've, you've been all this time a strategist. Now you're a marketer. What fundamentally is going to change in how you go about the job now? So first up, just the most amazing opportunity. And what's been amazing and about my journey at PhD is how I've been able to evolve and move, not just in the roles that I've done, but in the markets that, that I've been in. So thrilled now, after all this time with the organisation, to be able to, to jump into this role, um, which is incredibly exciting. It's genuinely exciting to to take a lot of that thinking and work that I've done for uh, other clients and other brands over the last 19 years and actually apply them, like be the doctor's doctor a little bit. Like, what should we be doing to go to market? What do we do to cut through? What do we do to think about B2B, B2C even, kind of what that means for us as a, as a business and as a brand? Um, it's actually genuinely exciting to be able to take all that experience and uh, and leverage it for a brand that I love and that I, a brand that I think has just got an amazing position in market right now. And I suppose it's worth making the point that you were on the ground in Australia when PhD launched in Australia. So I suppose you had a hand in actually creating that brand, at least with a local footprint, even if it had a bit of architecture behind it from, from London before. Um, what did you learn from that process that maybe you're now applying to this global role? Uh, I think the the years that I spent in Australia were just they're just the best. They were, they were the, the most amazing time, and and I think what I took from that experience was one the importance of brand of having a really distinctive brand that stands for something that that marketers can navigate to, to connect you, to understand a shorthand for what for what you offer. I think that when we launched PhD, um, we had that real benefit of a, of a brand that knew what it stood for, that knew about the difference it wanted to make in the world and in the market. And we've not wavered from that, 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 that idea of leveraging the power of media creativity to, to make the leap, to make a difference. Uh, of course, we're now doing it in a very different, more data and, and, and tech world, but the, that fundamental uh, positioning is still there. So I think one, absolutely learning that you've got to, uh, you've got to have that distinctive positioning. The other thing I would say is that you've really got to walk the walk. I think that one of the things that we, we really did in Australia from the start was not just talk about what we did, but we showed what we did. Um, and where that was um, at events of 360, 
when we didn't just do a panel, but we did something that would generally try and cut through, be distinctive, true to what PhD stood for, but also add value to the people who were there. So I think that I learned that you've got to walk the walk, you can't just say it, and you've got to create value. That We live in a world where there is so much attention for so many different things. How is your marketing adding value and making people's lives more interesting um, uh, or unknowledgeable as a result of what you're doing? Now, that's interesting as well, because one of the things I found myself thinking about when I thought about your new role is the fact that you've gone from being able to directly pull the levers on the product, you're, you're making the product yourself, effectively you're delivering the promise, but you're not necessarily the one who gets to make the promise. Now you're the one, I guess, who's making the promise um, and relying on others to deliver. Or do you do you still get to keep your hands on the lever a little bit, do you think? Um, I don't think I do. I think the business might like me to. Um, but no, I think we've got 7,000 amazing people around the world who uh, have absolutely got their hands on those levers to deliver really future-facing, strategic thinking, creative media planning. I get the really happy job of being able to be across all that, celebrate those stories, really amplify and scale up the great stuff we're doing and where we're doing it, um, and make sure that, that it's consistent and holding up to that promise that we make, that promise that, that when marketers work with PhD, they will get work that enables them to make the leap, to make a difference, to, to use creative media to, to get them to places they want to go, whether that's jumping into e-commerce or whether it's um, building out a portfolio or entering a new market or bringing new, new consumers into a category. Whatever leap a marketer wants to make, PhDs there to help them do it. And, and, uh, and I think my background in the product gives me this really fortunate position where uh, I'm absolutely involved in what that promise is, but I've got a real grounding in how it's delivered on the ground. And what is PhD's position in the massively crowded market? What is it that PhD really stands for that's different to its peer agencies in the Omnicom group or more widely across the mm. whole sector? Mm. We, we fundamentally stand for uh, the power of imagination and creativity to inundate in a tech world to drive growth for clients. And it's that simple. Um, and I think that a lot of the time you can position yourself into a corner, you can play uh, on a pinhead, but, but it's fundamentally that. We describe it as making the leap, and making the leap is leveraging the power of media and media creativity, creativity in media, and the imaginative power of when media is used in really creative ways in a data and tech world to make leaps for clients, to drive growth. And, I mean, in the end, I guess so much is, is about what you do rather than what you say. And I suppose to me it feels like there are really two, two types of media agency. There's the media agency that does really clever things to get the outcome and then does lots of efficient things behind the scenes to, to, to get there as well. Or you get the ones who get the client there on price um, and, you know, I'm sure they wouldn't describe it that way, but you know, let their negotiating power do the heavy lifting. And of course, PhDs always have the reputation for being the former, but there are a lot of other agencies that are as well. So 
Is that enough of a point of difference? Or, or, or can it be? Is it just impossible from the line to, to really encapsulate what you stand for? I think the proof's in the pudding. I think you've got to you've got to be able to demonstrate that you can deliver on it, and we can. I mean, the 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 Walk 100, what was just um, released, so that's a, that's their rankings based on the work that's produced by agencies and how that performs in award shows. Now, you can, we could have a whole podcast on the, the value of award shows and, 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 and all of that. However, you know, it's a bit like democracy. It's, it's the least worst system we've got for giving credibility to, to the work that agencies are producing. And we're really proud to be ranked third in, in, that, in, that, in that ranking. And the reason why I'm very proud to be ranked third is that when you, when you weight that by revenue, when you, when you, when you um, weight that by billings rather, we're easily number one on that list. For, for the billings that go through our agency, for the awards that we win, we are easily on a per billings basis, the most awarded media agency in the world, hands down. So you're saying you're outperforming your bigger colleagues at OMD, for instance? Um, I wouldn't want to get into a family debate on that, Tim. But, um, but, but it's, it's an important weighting to make and we do make it, and I think that it, it, it just goes to show that, that dollar for dollar, uh, we are producing work that is making a leap for our clients. Well, one of the reasons for the time of the conversation now is um, we're about to talk about shift, which is the new sort of piece of thinking, which PhD is sort of taking out around the world. Um, not the first time we've done it. I remember you trying to take a sort of market position on gamification in the past. It's our ninth book. It's your ninth, it's ninth book. Right, I, I, I feel bad because that means I haven't read them all. Either. What? Okay, so I know. I didn't even know there were nine. Um, the one that I remember getting really excited about was Merge, mm. um, pretty much exactly five years ago mm. now, which, which is a surprise. And that was really looking at what happens when um, AI hits that moment when... Um, it makes a difference to how marketing's done. Um, yeah. Five years on for Merge, are we five years closer to the singularity? Well, who knows, Tim? We may be. Uh, who knows when the singularity will will pop up and appear? I think um, you made a prediction in Merge, didn't you? Yeah, there may be a number in there. But you know, these things are indicative, Tim. They're indicative. But what I think is important in those very indicative predictions that we made um, is that. We, we actually spoke about merge recently. It came up again because the, the current book is Shift, and I'm sure we'll get on to that. But, but yeah, you're right. Five years ago, um, we wrote a book called Merge, and it was about the impact of technology on humanity. And some of the big things we spoke about were um, information layers over the world, whether that's in a VR sense or in an AR sense. We also spoke about um, immersive experiences like game worlds. And five years ago, we were servicing and talking about these things. Now, there's companies like Meta have kind of kicked off. What we can only describe is the most astonishing race to get across the metaverse. I mean, we've... I don't think we've seen anything like it. The, the kind of conversations and the pace at which conversations, at which clients and agencies and planners want to get ahead of this. And a lot of that stuff was spoken about in Merge. When we talked about information layers and AR, they are absolutely fundamental to a, a metaverse, which doesn't exist. The metaverse does not exist yet. But when it does, 
Um, an, an information layer, an AR layer of the world will be one of the foundations, as will gaming. So in many ways, I think Merge may have been slightly ahead of its time. We've certainly been having conversations in the last few months about what we do to, to resurface and revisit uh, some of those um, predictions uh, that we spoke about. Because as ever, some of those things are probably further away than we thought. Some of them are actually nearer and some of them probably accelerated faster than we thought. Yeah, and I suppose I, I, I remember the, the overwhelming feeling I, I, I kind of experienced. Was it terror? Was, was it terror? Well, maybe terror. Well, it wasn't the first word I would go to, but it could have been one of them. But, but, but was that sort of sense that um, the disruption was going to be so big and so fundamental, but also so hard to predict what it would actually be like? It was almost not worth wasting too much brain power on it because it would be so hard. Um, and, I, and I suppose looking at um, Shift, which is mm. the new piece of work, mm. you, you've taken a different approach, which you, yeah. you, you've taken various aspects of the world of marketing and thought about them individually rather than one big overlying theme. So let's maybe let, let's maybe go 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 through mm. those. Um, uh, I know one of the phrases you've you, one, one one of the kind of the areas you've talked about is the complexity wave, which I. Um, I know in the, the summary you talk about the Cambrian explosion, you know, that sort of moment in ancient times when so much evolution happened. And, you know, I guess that's what we've seen going through the kind of programmatic period of the last decade. Um, so let's start with that mm. complexity. Um, will will change ever be this slow again? It's only speeding up. We know that. And you're right, it won't ever be this slow again. Um, and uh, everywhere. And, um, but no, you, you, you're right. And just, I mean, just to take a step back quickly on Shift, I think your comparison to Merge is really interesting and probably correct. Merge was this very much future-facing, open view, which just invited readers, invited people who experienced Merge to open themselves up to where the, the potential of where this all could be and where it could all go. And if Merge opened up that horizon and, 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 and cast a very wide net, you're right, Shift is very much the echo back to that. It's the answer to that, the mirror of that, which goes, well, look, how do we help manage this complexity? How do we simplify it? How do we help navigate a way through it for marketers to make sure that, that we all get back to the stuff that we know is important? Um, and so, uh, yeah, so to your question on the explosion and where the complexity came from, we do use this analogy of the, of the Cambrian explosion. And, and many commentators have identified that, that 2007 wasn't an accident. It was, it was just a crazy year. 2007, so many things happened. I won't go through them, but I, so many things happened in 2007. And what it kind of kickstarted is what we call the long decade, up until around about 2020, where we saw not just an explosion of technology, most notably the iPhone, the iPad later, but we saw an explosion in the marketing practices and media practices to reach people. You, you mentioned programmatic. Um, uh, there's also you know, in, in terms of um, creative and optimization of creative and how that went all to market. Um, we've seen so many shifts and huge complexity and the levels upon levels upon levels of tech that, that now exist to, to reach audiences. At the end of the long decade, it was almost like everyone took this big pause 
And from various sources, this this constant explosion and proliferation started to to, to ease. And that was either because of regulation, like GDPR, or it may have been through changing consumer attitudes, or it might be through some very wily tech platforms working out that by switching off something on their platform, they might happen to impact the ability of their competitors to to monetize audiences. Who could say? But through various things came together to to create the end of this decade, which which leaves us, as you say, it leaves marketers with a whole lot of complexity um, and a whole lot of questions around how they get through that complexity in order to cut through to audiences, to make the leap into driving growth and to drive ROI. Now, you're a marketer now. How do you stay on top of that complexity? The way that I stay on top of that complexity, I'd like to hope is based on exactly the same advice I would have given any marketer in the last decade, which is be absolutely resolutely clear on what you want to achieve, what you want to do for your brand, for your business, for your marketing, and how can media, how can communications get you to that point? I think that... We've seen very big brands, and I won't name them, and very big businesses went very heavily into things like programmatic, into niche audiences, not because it was part of a big brand objective, but because they could. And we've seen a lot of them pull back on that. And so I think the advice I certainly try to take on myself and that I would give other marketers is to be absolutely resolutely focused on what you want to do and why you want to do it. And how do you use the quite magnificent media tech that we have at our disposal to do that. There's there's huge power in the tech that we have at our disposal. The danger is you end up serving the tech rather than what you want that tech to do. And this is going slightly off topic, but I'm interested at the moment as we're talking about you as a marketer. Um, Philosophically, have you had a chance to work out what sort of, you know, are you a the long and short of it, marketer, for instance. You know, you're a believer in investing in long-term for brand as well as looking for short-term results? Or how do you think about this stuff? It's it's, it's a great question. And the answer is I don't know yet. I'm still pretty new to this game. But in the last few months, as I've been talking to people in our business about what I want to do, as I've been speaking to to clients and marketers about what I want to do and, and engaging them, What it essentially comes down to is that my role is to build and engage a community of future-facing marketers who understand the power of media to make the leap uh, for the objectives of their business. And that is really what I try to do as a marketer, to build and engage a community of future-facing marketers who understand media's ability to help them make the leap. And... I think embedded in there, there's, I suspect, some nods into into how I see myself as a marketer and how I see myself um, being a a real force for PhD and the the great brand that is PhD in the world. We're uh, we're, we're recording this in a a conference room in Omnicom's offices in London. Uh, uh, At one end of the room, there's a big window. And let's say that standing by that window is Byron Sharp. And then standing at the other end of the room is Mark Ritson. Um, which, which end of the room are you naturally drawn to? 
I am going to give the terrible answer, which is I'm probably sat in exactly the right position because, Tim, in this room in which we're sat, where there's a window at that end with, with, with old Byron, who I debated once, he won, and, um, and Mark Ritson, your, your fellow Tasmanian down that end, um, I'm pretty sure I'm where I need to be. I'm, I'm about halfway between those things. I think that, that it's, I don't think it's a cop-out answer to say that it's not an either or. It's never been an either or. And this industry's never helped itself when we've got ourselves in this position where we said, well, you can't, you can't be a Sharpian and, and a Ritzonian. You can. There's, a, there's huge value to the work that Ehrenberg Bass and, and Byron Sharp and, um, have done, and many others actually in that group, to, to bring... To, to, make, to make marketing a science. You can, you know, they've done, alongside the IPA, they're, they're probably the two organizations that, that have you know, done more than anything else to get us there. However, you can't, you absolutely can't, I don't think, divorce that from the, the, the really valuable position that Mark Whitson has. And Mark worked with us at Cannes last year when we launched Shift. You know, we did it with, with some work with Mark Whitson. And it was this, it, it is this kind of, primordial cry to get marketing back to the business of marketing and away from the business of tech. And, and all of us want the same thing. All of us want great technology to work in the service of marketing based on the principles of marketing science. I don't think it's a trade-off. I don't think it ever has been. And then over in that corner is Gary V. <laughs> Are you Do not there? get me started. <laughs> no. Um, no, let's stay on the Ritz and Byron Sharp spectrum. <laughs> right, let's get, and let's, let, 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 let's get back to the subject in hand as well. Um, another one of the topics, mm. the marketing midlife crisis. Yes. So the marketing midlife crisis is essentially what, what kind of happened um, as marketers started to deal with all, with all this complexity. They found themselves um, uh, impacted by the, the, the complexity. And what it tended to happen, we think, and our... our or what we propose is that the, the way they, they deal with this um, uh, complexity is things like impulse decision-making, where there's a whole big thing over there, I need to get across it. Or it might be dramatic changes in behavior or appearance. So it could be having thoughts about infidelity. We, we, we talk about marketing FOMO. The, 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 a lot of marketers spend a lot of time in conferences virtually these days, but they spend a lot of time in conferences going, well, that looks, that looks interesting. I'm not getting that. They probably are getting that. It's probably just behind the scenes. And so FOMO kind of creeps in. And what we identified, which is a little bit of fun, is we identified, and they're in the book, five um, marketing midlife crises archetypes. So one archetype um, is, the, um, is, is what we call the Harry Houdini, where everything is magic. So don't worry, it's magic. Like, don't worry, it's magic. Say, like, don't think of that. Look over there. Don't do that. And, and um, if you look at a lot of marketing um, uh, in the last decade, certainly, there's been a, it's playful, but there's been a bit of that. Look at this bright, new, shiny thing. How does that work? Oh, it's magic. Um, and so we identified those. There's a, there's a King Henry VIII, who's um, the, in that midlife crisis, that archetype is one where you just change everything all the time. I'm not happy... Let's not fix it. Off Let's just off with the heads and start again. And is this particularly, are you thinking of that through the framework of marketers' relationship with agencies? That's how it's framed, absolutely. It's how, it's how marketers respond to this complexity. And I think it's really incumbent on 
both sides of that uh, of that equation to be invested in success, invested in getting it right. And I think largely people are. I think that. But I think that when what what those what, when you have really successful agency marketer relationships. You've got that level of trust, which avoids those kind of crises. But you see them, you get them, and it's and 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 we we absolutely think it's a result of this complexity, and it's why Shift is really a rallying cry to simplify and think about the essentials and the priorities for marketing, so you can build from there in order to make the leap and drive growth. So we've got Houdini, we've got Henry VIII. There's uh, there's Madonna, which is uh, what's the next big reinvention? Just complete reinvention, like. Done with that now, bored of that now, let's reinvent. There's uh, the Christopher Columbus, which is constantly changing direction. Where are we going this time? Where are we going this time? Where are we going this time? And then we've got an archetype called the Donald. Uh, and the Donald archetype uh, essentially says, um, it doesn't matter what's happening around me. I'm right. This is what we're doing. I'm not sure in those five archetypes there's one I'd aspire to be as a marketer, though. Well, I should hope not. I, 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 I should certainly hope that... There are no marketers aspiring to 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 be so overwrought by complexity that they're demanding a midlife a midlife marketing crisis. Now, something else um, you looked at in the project as well is the future of talent. Mm. Where we're going with that, which is, it, you know, it it strikes me that even over the last decade, the the profile of agencies, I think all types of communications agencies, but certainly media agencies, is is perhaps lower to people from outside. Um, where are we going to find the talent in the future? How are we going to bring them in? It's, it's, it's a really good question. I think that it's probably one of those questions which is on the, the top of the agenda. I had a thought for most media groups, but actually for marketer groups um, and even creative agency groups as well. I think that this isn't a media issue, it's a, it's a broader industry issue. And I think that uh, as an industry, there's some big questions to, to address around uh, how we make sure that the day-to-day reality for everyone in the industry is, is, um, is uh, fruitful and, and, and pleasurable. But I think that it's certainly massively important to the conversations we're having at the moment. Um, and how does that surface? What are we thinking about? Well, we're thinking about things like um, we've done some we've done some really interesting work with um, Harvard Business School. We have an Omnicom University can, um, collaboration partnership with 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 Harvard Business School, and um, and one of the things I think most people are quite familiar with the idea of T-shaped people. So you have a T-shaped construct where people are really successful in this business. They have, they've got a deep specialism. They've got deep knowledge, expertise, domain knowledge in something that gives you the stem of the T. But then across the top, they're able to join the dots. They're able to be enough of a generalist to, to leverage their domain expertise to, to, to more broader interactive or integrated rather um, uh, marketing solutions. What in, what, what's interesting that Harvard people are talking about now are, are pie-shaped people. So how do you have that generalism overview, but how do you make sure that you're able to navigate people through different domain specialisms over the course of their career? Um, and so it's not just one stem, but several. And so what can we do to structure careers? What we can do, what can we do to structure training development? And what are we doing to structure really 
diverse, interesting training courses that allow people to succeed in domains, but also spread uh, across more generalist areas. Which must be a really interesting question for a global company like PhD. Mm. I remember being on stage at a US event, um, and one of the points that someone from a media agency made there was, you can have a career in a media agency in which you start and finish as the Midwest TV buyer, um, and that's just how it is in the big agencies, versus somewhere like Australia where you can do a little of everything, or you know, perhaps in the UK, I suppose it probably leans towards specialisation. So how do you sort of tailor that for different markets when it is such a different organisation globally? It's a great question. I, mean, I don't even think it's a market thing. I think, that, I think that there are massive variations by market, but ultimately there are massive variations by individuals. Um, and everyone in this business, everyone in the industry will have different aspirations. They'll have different ambitions about where they want to go and how they want to get there. And I think that absolutely we've got to be able to take account for, for different roles, different markets. But I don't think that goes far enough. I think we've got to take account for the roles, the aspirations for every individual in this organization. We talk about being a learning culture. And one of the things in shift actually is how do you position yourself as a learning culture? We would love to be a learning business, which happens to produce great media. Um, um, uh, I think I'm allowed to say that. I've just said it. Um, so I think we would absolutely want to be, like be, be perceived as that. Um, and I think, the other thing that I think PhD can uniquely bring to this, and I do think I can credibly, I think I can hand on heart to say we're the most credible, is in the thought leadership that you've touched on. Shift is our 10th book. Merge was our eighth book, actually. The ninth book was Overthrow 2, the sequel. And all the books that preceded that, there is, there is an expectation on PhDs that you're thought leaders. In, and that can be anything you want. That could be in... The, the, the big issues of our day. It could be the, the the big global stuff that PhD turns its attention to, like challenger thinking, um, or like the impact of technology on on behaviour and what that means for for marketing. But it could equally be a, you could be passionate about dynamic content optimization and be a thought leader in that. You could be a thought leader in commerce, and increasingly we're seeing brilliant PhDs turn turn their thought leadership towards what's going on in commerce, the potential collapse of D2C that we're seeing and all the pressures with supply chains on that. Some really interesting thought leadership coming out of our network. And I think that PhD is just absolutely for, 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 for decades demonstrated that thought leadership here isn't icing on the cake. It's not something that we add on. It's, it goes to the core of what we are and what we do. And I think that extends to the individuals in the organisation. Well, final question. If you want people to get one thing from Shift or change their thinking about one thing mm. based on reading it, what is that thing? I think the one thing that I would love readers of Shift to take out of, of the book and, and of the, the content that sits around it is that it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this complicated. We haven't got to be in the service of amazing technology, amazing, brilliant, valuable technology can be in the service of marketing. But marketing has got to be really clear 
on what we want that to do and how we want to do it. Uh, and we've got to really stand on the shoulders of the giants of marketers and marketing science thinkers and practitioners who've got us to, to that point. We've really got to understand that it hasn't got to be this way. And we get a chance to build that better. Right? We, are, we, are, we are in a moment. There is an absolute moment right now where tens of thousands of people around the world are working out what happens when cookies finally go away. What do we do to build audiences? How do we leverage data in privacy-safe ways to drive and build brands? And there is a huge opportunity, I'm going to use the term, there's a huge opportunity to build back better. In the wake of all the change that we are right in the midst of right now, how do we make sure that we build a marketing system powered by data and tech which serves marketing, which grows brands, which grows businesses, and allows marketers to make those incredible leaps into what marketing can do. Chris, thank you for your time. Amazing, Tim. Thanks for having me, and brilliant to be on Unmade. Unmade. Podcast edit by Abe's Audio.